from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by John Tress, the Chief Learning Officer at Inspired eLearning, and we're going to be talking security awareness training and how to uh, turn your employees uh, from a, a threat to your business into your first line of defense. Uh, John, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, thank you for having me. So um, we've had the CEO of Inspired eLearning on, uh, I guess, about a year or so ago now uh, on the program and talked through a little bit of the background and history of the company. With you, I, I really want to talk about how you develop the security awareness curriculum. Like, we'll kind of cover some of the history and some of the other things uh would like to catch up on what's going on there. But I think for many companies, it's like a security awareness program. It's like, do I just... I feel like I should be able to just Google and do this myself, but explain like what comes into your whole process for developing this stuff. Right, right. Well, a lot of people approach it, you know, in a very simple way. They just deploy training, sort of a one-off, uh, once a year, right? And they expect that people are going to take that information, a retain it for any yeah. length of time, and then be able to implement that during that year until they take it again, right? So that's not really a security awareness program that's going to be effective for you. So what we've developed, and we've been in business for 16 years now, what we've developed is basically a library of content, of courses, that basically baseline your entire staff to make sure that they are familiar with all the major topics they need to know to be cyber secure. So social engineering, malware, phishing, so on and so forth. And then once you actually take that training, you then go into a series of reinforcement courses or modules that you would take over the course of the year. So the idea is that, you know, once you've actually taken training, you start forgetting, right? So let's say in three weeks, you could lose 50% of your knowledge that you gained from the course. In two months, that could be up to 90%, yeah. right? Especially because like, with and in, in out there, folks, is you've done education in your lives and you study something, you kind of take the test on it, but then if you don't immediately start using that on a regular basis, you're going to start forgetting it. That's what John's talking about. And the thing with security attacks here, ideally, you're not getting fished every single day. If you're getting fished every single day, <laughs> then you, you need to talk to your email provider and, and work through some things further upstream there. Uh, but if... So you could be going through a, a complicated phishing training, and then nothing might happen for nine months. That's true. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a disconnect there, right? Yeah. So you may not even see the result of whether you made a good choice or bad choice uh, for some time, right? So uh, getting past the disconnect is, is important as well, right? So the what we do is we have t particular approaches to our training to make sure that, A, like we were just talking about, you retain the information after the fact. Uh, B, also that um, you have a bit of motivation to take the training and focus, right? These are two big pain points that CISOs have with any kind of training program Yeah, uh, all the time. And so the idea that you know, you're know you trying to get past the disconnect, trying to get them motivated, trying to get them engaged, you need to explain how it's relevant to them, right? Technology is not going to be your answer. Emails are still going to come through that you have to potentially deal with as a phishing situation, right? Yeah. And that, um, you know, you need to have an idea of what the impact is for you. What's in it for me, right? This is, this is adult learning tenants. You know, they need to understand that uh, it's going to have an impact to you and your organization, right? On top of that, if you click through that email, click the malicious attachment and so on and so forth. Yeah. 
and and I mean, with the common attacks like phishing, uh, I mean, things that we do at the company is when someone in the company receives a phishing email, we actually encourage that to be shared, not forwarded around as an email attachment, but we <laughs> we share it without the links in there. And they're like, hey, here's what the message looked like. Here's the information. So even if that attack's mm-hmm. not coming to an individual, people are seeing that this stuff's coming in and what it looks like. Um, and for uh, businesses out there, if you are not training your accounts payable department yet, this is likely the the most important department to train inside your entire company. Um, this is is one. It's they're not just attacking these hackers are not just attacking your computer administrators anymore. They're not just attacking your IT department trying to get admin access to systems. Uh, the these phishing attacks now are are very targeted towards um, the accounts payable and other areas of the business that historically have not. Um, had as much training and experience on cybersecurity. Right. So business email compromise yeah. emails, uh, ones where people are uh, basically, I'm the CEO and I need you to wire money to this account. I'm out of the office right now. Can you do that you know, quickly for me? Right. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, those kinds of emails get through the technology easier than something with a malicious attachment or malicious URL. You can, those things can be identified. Yeah. But they have to be able to read the email and understand it and know that this is an actual attempt. At deceiver, uh, so at deception. Yeah, so, and yeah. I mean we've we've had a, a number of guests in the program talking kind of about uh, machine learning and AI and where we're at there, and um, the attackers are ahead of the defenders on all of this right now. So like even if you have a sophisticated um, anti phishing, anti business email compromise filtering system, the attackers are going to figure out how to bypass those because the the humans can still easily outsmart um, any of the filtering systems uh, with messages. Now, certain things are going to get caught, but sophisticated, even reasonably sophisticated attackers are going to be able to get past the defenses still. And this is where the training of of your people inside of your organization comes in because your your people have to be able to look at those messages and realize, you know what, it's time to pick up the phone and call the CEO. Or if I'm afraid to call our CEO because I'm at a big company, Call your your boss, call your director, call your vice president, but don't just go and and follow instructions over an email uh, and without uh, verifying through a secondary channel first. So when we're talking about what's in it for me, there's a company in the UK that's trying to sue their uh, their finance person because they fell for a BEC. Wow. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they didn't train them yeah. to look out for it, and they didn't have controls in place to make sure that that didn't happen. It could have just been as simple as making a call to the CEO to verify that that was actually a request. You've got me. I can't believe that a, a company is going to go after an employee on that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty scary because, uh, I mean, it, you're putting people into a situation where they should be trained. Um, I would be shocked. I don't know U.K. law as well as the U.S., but I would be shocked in the U.S. if an employee would be held liable for for that with without training without proper controls and systems and setup you've you basically um, set them up to fail right exactly yeah, yeah. I, I certainly hope that doesn't work itself out for the company right so yeah so uh, as you guys are are seeing the the evolution and change so like with phishing attacks used to be about like if Nigerian prince is wanting you to wire your money, as you were, we were just talking about, they're getting more sophisticated there. The same thing, I think, like we think about um, computer viruses, like where all of a sudden like your files in your computer 
are misbehaving or other things. People don't seem to hear as much about viruses and malware now because I hear the writers of that software have made it more sophisticated as well, where your computer is going to be compromised and you may not even know it's compromised. True, true. Yeah, the the, uh, ransomware attacks, of course, were were up uh, in 2016 and so on and so forth. Those are on the decline now. They've they've morphed into that as as a way of really making money for cyber criminals. But another one that's uh, come out recently is crypto jacking. Yeah. Right? So uh, where cyber criminals are basically using your computer's resources to mine cryptocurrency. So what we teach is basically to look out for the symptoms, right? Yeah. That, you know, your computer is basically uh, overtaxed, yeah. right? Uh, and overheated and so on and so forth. And you can't get your work done uh, as productively. So Yeah. yeah. And for, for businesses, if you have a large number of computers compromised, you may notice that your February electricity bill looks like your July or August electricity <laughs> bill. And if, if you're seeing that... Uh, Call an IT person in to have them take a look at your computing systems because chances are a number of them uh, could be compromised. And yeah, I think as as long as uh, Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies stay at the valuation levels they are right now, we're going to continue to see people compromising computers or over web browser tabs via JavaScript-based coin mining and other uh, malicious software. Uh, that they're going to continue to use your computing resources rather than put a pop-up on your screen asking you for money because uh, it's just they'll make more uh, from running your computer in the long term than they will by getting a, a one-time ransom payment from you. Mm-hmm. Well, I would note that uh, at least we're seeing a decline in ransomware and crypto jacking the last couple of years just because the the value, as you said, yeah. uh, Bitcoin or Monero, you know, it's gone down. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think if, if we see Bitcoin go below my my models say somewhere below um, fifteen hundred dollars again, you're going to see most of the coin mining stop, and people will start putting uh, pop ups. From a ransom level, we're no longer seeing the two hundred and fifty and five hundred dollar ransoms. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of ransoms at the kind of two thousand to ten thousand dollar level. So bigger organizations or like if you're a medical clinic or someone like that, that where they believe that they can get more money out of you because you need to have access to patient records or your computing systems, then they'll ask for a larger ransom. But the the smaller ransoms right now, they're just using your computer for the the coin mining. Or maybe they're doing even other things with it now as the, the value of mining that the currency uh, is no longer as uh, productive as it was before. The criminals are now trying to get software onto your computer to, to turn your computer into their own computing cloud. Um, and they, they may be using it for natural language processing. They could be using it for all sorts of things. But it's no longer just the days of a, a computer virus where immediately it gets on there and then all of a sudden your computer starts to just fail and not work real well. You have to be trained to look for the symptoms of someone using your resources behind the scenes. Right, right. In those cases, you can do something about it. And unfortunately, what they've seen recently is a rise in form jacking, where basically cyber criminals will... Uh, go to an e-commerce site, infect it with a bit of code, and now when you enter your credit card information in the e-commerce site, it, it basically skims that information, right? And yeah. they can use it or they can sell it. Uh, unfortunately, in that case, there's not really any symptoms for you to, no. to notice. So you just have to be careful and be aware of any sites that are compromised that you're familiar with that. But Yeah, and, and uh, one uh, suggestion I have for a lot of folks uh, on, on that one, and it's like you can use a, a Visa gift card, MasterCard gift card, something like that. So like if you're going to go to a, a e-commerce site that you've never shopped from before, go get and you're going to spend $300 there. Go mm-hmm. get a $500 gift card so that in the event that credit card number is compromised, it's not your credit card with a larger limit. And it's 
I really don't recommend using your your checking kind of debit card on the internet ever. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Use, good advice. Use use a credit card. Do not use your your check account debit card uh, out there. And I mean, even like logging into your bank and these other things, do it from your own computer um, that you know is clean and secure. Like using a, a kiosk computer at a hotel or an airport or um, any of those is all, um, from my perspective, pretty risky. And these are the, the this and much more are the kind of things you will learn in a comprehensive security awareness training program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good point with the credit card because yeah. you know, don't use your debit card at the gas station. No. Right? Same idea. Yeah, same so. idea. Yeah, especially if you're listening uh, here in the San Antonio area, uh, we frequently have uh, credit card skimmers out there on the gas pumps. Uh, you can uh, when you put your credit card in that gas pump, you can check and just grab and try to pull it out. But they're even getting more sophisticated now, where they're popping the the front face off on the gas pumps and putting a chip on the inside now so even the the little pull test is not necessarily always going to work anymore Um, you can look for the inspection stickers and sealing on the side if the inspection stickers aren't on the actual side of the gas pump um, user beware right (laughs) absolutely you're listening to 1200 wai this is cyber talk radio and we're talking security awareness training uh, with John Tress, the Chief Learning Officer at Inspired Learning, and John, so you were uh, switching topics for a second. You were just out at the uh, gigantic security conference in San Francisco called RSA. Yes, RSA conference, right? Yeah. Forty thousand people, yeah. large conference. Yeah, it, uh, I used to live out in the the Bay Area back when RSA started, and we used to just be one little wing of one of the portions of the that Moscone Convention Center in San Francisco. And now, I, I guess I haven't been out in a few years, but it, it takes over the entire city <laughs> yes absolutely yeah there's billboards everywhere cars or buses going by with uh different logos for vendors and so on and so forth yeah yeah so i guess security awareness at least uh for one week in san francisco everyone realizes this is something you should pay attention to uh w- what was kind of the the general vibe at the the conference this year well certain topics are persistent right there's always a discussion regarding how cybersecurity is just generally understaffed there's not enough people out there to help companies defend themselves against cyber criminals. Uh, A case in point, uh, we did some work for uh, a casino in Las Vegas. They had 120 open positions for cybersecurity uh, personnel. They were able to fill about approximately 80 of those positions. So so that's always a a topic that comes up every year. Um, In respect to that, uh, they've been talking about how AI can can assist potentially with that, with reducing the manpower need, right? So sorting through all these threats and so on and so forth. Uh, the scary thing is, though, they were talking about how cyber criminals can also take advantage of AI as well. Yeah. So now you have potentially where AI is running the spear phishing campaign, and it's at a scale that you would normally see something like a spray and pray uh, general phishing attempt that's not targeted being at that level. Right. Yeah. And as we know, spear phishing emails are quite a bit more effective. They're four times more effective than you know your standard uh, general, you know, standard e- phishing email. Type, yeah. Right. And yeah, they're getting even. Yeah. I mean, but from out there is, is you think that for listeners, the phishing email, you're like, yeah, I've got these, I've got it. it here's a, a scenario I'll walk you through. So think about all the different people you've emailed over your course and you've got your email signature block on there and all the rest of that. So if any one of those people gets their email account compromised, your email still in their inbox or in some folder, they've saved it. So now as an attacker, I know what your email signature looks like. I know I can even go in and look at your your message header trace. I can look at all of these things, and it's super time-consuming if I have to manually do this as a, as a hacker. But if I've got an AI that's trained to go in and grab these email signature blocks and make 
the email look exactly like a real email coming from you as the sender to a person and you can and then they can even go back in and, and forge an email to your own contact so like you may get um uh, say that uh our christina our one of our producers she gets her email account hacked um and they go through all the different people she's ever communicated with and they're going to spearfish straight back into her with a message that looks authentically like it came from the the person that she normally communicates with so this is the level of sophistication they're reaching, and, and some of the challenges with AI is for the good guys, we have to buy computers to run our AI on, and computers are expensive, GPUs are expensive, machine time on, on cloud platforms are expensive, TPUs, all the rest of those sorts of things. If you're a criminal, you just compromise computers and you use someone else's assets, you use someone else's electricity bill. So if you're not preventing that base-level compromise of your, your computing platform, um, just passively having those criminals sitting in there using your computing resources or making their attacks better and more sophisticated, and they don't have to pay for any of the computing power. So in this AI arms race right now, um, the early advantage goes to the attackers from a, a cost perspective, certainly, and um, even from a sophistication perspective because they have access to more computing resources than most enterprises. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you look at the size of some of these botnets out there, if, I mean, for... Those that have uh, not ever done this, this may scare you a little bit, but go ahead and go to uh, Largest Botnets Wikipedia. Go ahead and put that <laughs> in your favorite search engine. You'll see that there's a, a list of the largest botnets that have ever been caught and um, cleaned up. And there's some of these that where the hackers have compromised more than 10 million computers. Mm -hmm. So if you think about this artificial intelligence and machine learning, if they can use 10,000 computers to, or 10 million computers to train their AI model, um, I mean, there's there's not a, a regular enterprise business out there that has 10 million computers. Some of the cloud computing providers may have that many, but um, I mean, no normal business has 10 million computers. Right, right. And now they're actually, you know, using connected devices too. It's not just for computers. Yeah. It's uh, security cameras that are connected to the internet and so on and so forth. You know, the Mirai botnet, you know, very recently. Yeah. I mean, Internet of Things is, is uh, speaking of RSA buzz topics again, yeah. IoT again, right? Yeah. You know, billions, tens of billions of devices are going to be connected to the Internet in the next few years. And, and most of them still vulnerable, you know, to, to cyber kernels. Yeah. All, all of the problems we've had over the last 20 years of patching and updating operating systems on computers, we're going to, right now, I feel like I'm watching us go right down the same <laughs> path again with all of these embedded devices. And we've seen the... The news over the last year with uh, the routers for a lot of the personal routers for people at home, their, their Wi-Fi access points. Um, if you don't know how to update the firmware, if you bought a router from a, a box store or ordered one online and you don't know how to update the software on it, chances are your software is out of date. Or if you don't know how to update your firmware, chances are that's out of date now. Um, and chances are with it being out of date, it's likely vulnerable to some type of attack at this point in time. So... Uh, if you, you bought one of those routers and you want to know how to update it, go ahead and reach out to us uh, at CyberTalk Radio on Facebook or Twitter. Um, you can direct message us if you don't want to put the model of the router out there on the Internet from your, your Twitter handle or same thing on Facebook. You can private message us. We'll get you instructions on how to get that stuff updated. But, um, yeah, please don't run a, a router out there right now that is, is not updated. And if you don't know how to update it, it's not getting updated on its own. Most of these things don't auto-update. Like your your Windows and Mac computers now, 
when you you boot up or your web browser is the same thing. They auto update themselves, but all of these IoT devices and some of them they're not even updatable. Like I mm-hmm. and there's no regulatory requirement that these things have a way to be patched or updated. Yeah, you need to do the research. You need to know that this is a company that takes security seriously, right? And then you're not just going to have uh, passwords uh, hard coded. Hard coded, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. scary. Uh, so y- you guys had some announcements out at RSA as well, right? We did. We did. We uh, unveiled a new uh, VR, virtual reality course. Uh, it was based on physical security, so it simulates an office environment yeah. uh, and goes through some some different scenarios that are potential security incidents, right? So that was uh, we got a lot of positive uh, feedback on that. Um, you know, a lot of people, VR is still a novelty for them, right? Yeah. So, and, and they don't really... They, they don't connect that necessarily to training, but uh, the, what's great about VR is that studies have shown that you retain more information from an immersive virtual reality experience than necessarily watching a video on YouTube or taking e-learning content, right? Yeah. Uh, just the fact that you're using 360 video, essentially you're, you're replicating the idea of a memory, right? Uh, it feels like a memory, and and so you you it's easier for you to, to to retain that information. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the equivalent of being in a classroom with an instructor, mm-hmm. or like in a real world scenario, versus watching a video of that real world scenario. We've or just reading a book about it, or reading an article, and we've uh, all learned that way at some point through our lives. And I think uh, I don't I can't think of anybody out there that will tell me I I learn better by just watching a two D video on my screen <laughs> than I do by having a a real full. Uh, classroom style learning scenario mm-hmm. or or an actual chance to go practice and see in reality what does tailgating look like or mm-hmm. other um, physical security risks inside of office buildings exactly and it's something it's, it's not uh, something you need a, a, a expensive headset like an oculus rift or something like that to experience uh, basically you can use your smartphone use our mobile app and simply insert your phone into one of these devices like a google cardboard or uh, this item, which we actually gave away at the conference as well. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, you guys have your own Inspired E-Learning headset now. I like it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you can actually interact with the uh, course itself by using this. You just simply stare at things that you want to select. You can answer questions. You can experience everything uh, as if you were uh, in the office. Yeah, so. if you, you want to see what that headset looks like, we'll get a, a photo of it here during the program and get it out on our uh recap blog post as well as uh, on our our facebook and twitter page it'll uh, the recap of this if you're listening to us live on 1200 wai will be up tuesday april 9th it'll go on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com it'll also go out there on uh, all the podcasting services across the internet if you have a podcasting service that you uh, prefer to listen to content on uh, where you cannot find cybertalk radio let us know and we will get you a cybertalk radio t-shirt and we will also fix that for you so uh with the um, your content development on the VR. We've had a, another company uh, on the program that does um, training for the agencies on the west side of, of San Antonio, and and they do some VR-based training. They So they've noticed that the curriculum development is much more complicated on the VR training than it is on the, the 2D video stuff. Is a, What are you seeing from that curriculum development side? Well, one thing is that not all topics are going to lend themselves easily to a virtual reality experience, right? So you chose physical security because that made sense. Yeah. Put you in that uh, situation. Social engineering, another area you could uh, could do that as well. But fishing, right? Yeah. A little different. <laughs> yeah. And that's more just, you know, you have to show as opposed to uh, trying to experience that, right? So that's one aspect of it. 
but then also uh, just planning the way that you're navigating through that. It's not simply clicking next to the you know the next item in, in, a, in a course or, or whatnot. Uh, you have to create a situation where they can move basically through these spaces, and, and how is that going to work? Uh, how well uh, can you see things when you're actually taking these 360 video uh, shots and everything else? It was a bit more complicated. It was an interesting experience. Yeah, so you, you almost need like film directing skills plus <laughs> software developer skills to to put together uh, the content and script and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you guys in, in your training materials, you. You do well shot video and stuff already on them, so it's like your your company has those resources available. But as I think about many businesses that run their own training programs internally, they don't have the resources to do this kind of stuff. Look forward to see how the shift goes. So we're uh, going to take a quick break here for a news, traffic, and weather update at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we'll be uh, back after the break with John where we're going to talk through some of the other uh, type of training that Inspiring Learning uh, can take care of for your organization and many more things. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by John Tress, the Chief Learning Officer at Inspired eLearning. And uh, we've been talking security awareness training. If you uh, just uh, hopped in your car now or turned on your uh, iHeartRadio streaming app uh, and are listening to us, uh, you can catch the recap um, and rebroadcast of our Uh, first half of the program uh, up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, April the 9th. If you are uh, listening to us uh, from the website or watching a a still photo of uh, John and I on YouTube, we're we're not doing video on the program anytime soon, so you can see a still picture of us if you would like to just imagine our lips moving while you're watching the YouTube picture. Uh, Or if you're listening to us on a podcast, thank you for uh, tuning into the program. Uh, Let us know. uh, Subscribe. And uh, give us feedback uh, either uh, through Facebook, Twitter, uh, or we've got a a forum on our website as well where you can uh, share your thoughts uh, on the program. Uh, One of the the things that John mentioned that I'll bring up again here is it was talking about one of their customers um, in Las Vegas and that they were able to, they were trying to build up and and expand their security team and they were able to hire about two thirds of the number of people uh, that. Uh, they wanted to be able to hire to fill that team as a, a business trying to decide which things should I do myself on my security, which things should I find partners for. Uh, if you're running your own security awareness training program at this point, unless you have crazy super specialized requirements uh, for these security awareness training programs, you should not be doing this anymore. Um, you should be working with somebody else uh, that is building and developing high quality curriculum. Uh, so test out their uh, training materials. They should be willing to share samples of those training materials before you sign up a contract with them. If they're not willing to share a sample of the material, don't give them a penny. Uh, and uh, Inspired is, is one of the companies they'll share samples of their training before they ever ask you for a dollar so you can see what you're, you're going to get uh, from them from a quality perspective. And uh, I think this is one way if you have a handful of people that are focused on 
building and developing and delivering training curriculum for your organization, you can refocus those those people on uh, other activities where it's going to be unique to your business and it's not going to be something that you can find a partner to uh, provide the quality and level of content uh, that you, you need in order to have a comprehensive uh, program. I guess my second piece of the soapbox, I'll stay on here for a second, John, is that security awareness training is is not just something that you can do once a year um, or when you do it with employee onboarding and you do a refresher once a year. Uh, if you do that, your your business will sadly be one of these out there that ends up with a compromise. Even if you're running a security awareness training program, you still could have issues. We were talking in the first half of the program about how much more sophisticated the attackers are getting. And if they're spending all day trying to figure out how to get into a business and you're spending an hour a year um, in a class you're not paying attention to and you think that you're going to be safe, I think you should you should think again is, is my view uh, on that. And with these uh, attackers, you go, you know what? Well, I'm just a, a tiny business. It doesn't like I'm not a target for these cyber criminals. But uh, as John was mentioning now with with AI, they're not having to spend any time or energy on them on their own to target you. They have uh, software systems out there. They have other people's computers that are compromised that are going out there and, and not attacking um, targets on a specific guided basis. It's just targets of opportunity. Anything connected to the internet, any email address that they can find that's a valid email that will answer back, um, all of these things are all getting attacked on a, on a constant and ongoing basis at this point. Uh, I don't suggest that you unplug your business from the internet either. I think if you, you look at the productivity gains um, and efficiency uh, that your your business is able to achieve by using technology, uh, the option of just uh, kind of putting your head in the sand and deciding to, to not do it uh, does not does not work either. Uh, if, you, if you have an industry where you can't use technology, I would love to learn about it because then I'll go use technology in that industry and I'll, I'll be the number one business in that industry pretty quickly. Uh, I, so yeah, is, is you're, you're out there and, and working through all of these. I mean, one of the fun questions, John, I ask folks all the time is, uh, if you didn't have email for a day, how would that impact your job? And folks are like, well, I could, <laughs> I could deal with that. If you didn't have email for a week, how would that impact your job? Mm -hmm. And then a lot of folks start to get a little panicked. And then you go, what, what if you didn't have email for a month inside of your organization? How would your organization function? And basically at the point where you tell people they don't have email for a whole month, every business these days says we're we're done, we're shut down. So turning off email is not an option to avoid these phishing attacks. Right, right, exactly. And actually, we said something very similarly in one of our courses recently that you have to imagine if you didn't have access to your computer for a day, a week, a month, and you get locked out, you get ransomware attacks, these things happen, right? So. Yeah, and it's a it's a fun one for business owners. Like if you, you get... Uh, I mean, fun for me from a security guy perspective. It's probably not a ton of fun for you, but it's something you, you can do very easily is next time you're out to, to lunch with your, your leadership team, uh, if you're out to lunch with uh, a good chunk of your staff, uh, take 15 or 30 minutes and ask each of the people around the table for their job function for their department um, if they didn't have access to their computer for a day, um, what things wouldn't happen and and how would you fix it the next day? Mm -hmm. And then ask them, if you didn't have access to your computer or any technology for a week, what would happen? What would not get done in your job? And then how would you fix that the following week? And then same question on the, the month level. In, in 15 or 30 minutes, you can learn quite a bit about your, your business processes and where you have 
um, some type of recovery plan in place. And, and that plan might be written down or it may just be in that employee's head. Like if you've got a, a single person that is responsible for some task inside of your organization, um, the disaster recovery plan and, and not having access to for that one person, for that job function, for not being able to have access to technology for a month, that's a disaster. And they will be able to share with you how would they work around not having technology during the month of the outage and how would they catch up on the work in the following month. And that effectively is your disaster recovery plan. And, and over the course of a lunch, you can figure out uh, where we have documented plans and where the plans are just in people's heads. And then also where do we have big issues? And what's the financial impact of that, right? Oh, um, yeah. Lost productivity. So yeah, it, it's, yep. it's huge. Um, and I mean, you, you have like in, in these events of these uh, ransomware attacks and, um, like we, and many of the backup software folks out there say that well, a backup is the, the right way to deal with ransomware. Well, I mean, it's a way to deal with ransomware. I would rather that, uh, folks have training up front. Your computer doesn't get ransomware that you have some active network defense. You don't get ransomware to begin with, but restoring from backup, it, it, you're going to roll back to potentially a day or two days or a week, depending on how your, your backups are set up and working. Um, but you're probably not rolling back to 15 minutes ago. Um, and, and even if you are, like you may not discover that ransomware may be on the computer for, because many of these attackers now are doing time release where like the ransomware will show up in the computer, but it'll sit for a day or a week or a month before they actually put the pop-up on your screen. They don't just immediately compromise you and then pop it up right away because they actually want to get their bad software into their malicious software into your backups um, and into those copies. So um, they'll work through and then check and look for different behaviors. Like, are you, do you have file system versioning and other things turned on? They'll look to try to overwrite all of those versions before. Uh, so restoring from backup, not a great way. And like, if you have to roll back for a week or a month, then you might have to re-enter or redo a whole bunch of work. And organizations start to look at like, well, the cost of paying the ransom is is less than the cost of me having to redo all this work. And this is where you end up with with companies making the financial decision to uh, give money to criminal organizations. Yeah, that's unfortunate, right? Yeah, because the uh, you know, best practice you need to contact FBI immediately and you know don't pay the ransom and so on and so forth. But uh, a lot of businesses don't have a lot of options. So no, yeah, and I mean, there's been some out there in the news for those that have been really are listening and tuned in and wondering what the heck are we doing right now. This is Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. We're talking about security awareness training, uh, ransomware, and some of these uh, other topics. Uh, you can uh, check out the recap of uh, this episode on Tuesday, April the 9th on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com and, and of all of our, our past uh, programs as well. We've been on the air here for a, a couple of years now. Uh, covering all things about cybersecurity from uh, education, training, um, different attack types, different things of what should you learn in order to get a job. And uh, it's uh, for your kids out there uh, in middle school and high school, uh, your schools hopefully uh, have a Cyber Patriot team at this point. It's a team sport for cybersecurity. For our, our, our home uh, listening area here in San Antonio, Texas, we have uh, three teams that are uh, headed to the national finals here in the middle of uh, April, uh, coming up here in another week or so. Uh, so for those teams uh congratulations on making it to the uh the national final competition and uh good luck out there and uh, for 
those of you not from San Antonio, I wish you a little bit of luck, but not as much luck as the three teams from here. I would love to see someone uh, come home with a, a national championship. You can learn all about uh, Cyber Patriot. Uh, it's all, all one word. Go put that in your favorite search engine. If you're in the uh, San Antonio area and your school or uh, your child school does not have a Cyber Patriot, uh, Patriot team, reach out to the Cyber Texas Foundation, your school administration, and they'll work on getting that stuff put together. It's great. It uh, lets the uh, the kids learn about cybersecurity uh, at a young age, but also lets them learn competitive team sports and uh, teamwork, uh, which is something every employer uh, wants out there now is folks have to be able to work in teams, have to be able to problem solve, have to be able to deal with stressful situations, uh, and that's exactly what they get to, to learn in uh, Cyber Patriot without getting their head smashed in a football helmet. <laughs> Now, those are excellent programs, and, and really, with kids these days, they're exposed to potential uh, cyber criminal activity in, at an early age, right, uh, with accounts, with different websites, and so on and so forth. So, no, it's, it's a good idea to get them started early and, and understanding uh, what they can do to you know, help prevent those things from happening to them. Yeah, so. I mean, all, all of my kids that are, are – some of mine are out of high school and stuff now, but some of mine are still in school, and all of uh, our kids now have to have uh, email accounts. Uh, they mm -hmm. communicate with their teachers over email. They turn in assignments over email. It's good in a way because uh, they're learning uh, – valuable work skills like this is the way you interact with your manager a lot is that your manager emails you an assignment you get that assignment done you email it back to your manager uh or your your coworker, whoever else so they're learning to use the tools and and skills and communicate in the ways that they'll need to in the workforce but at the same time now you have uh, kids out there with an email account on the internet that are going to be victims potentially if they're not aware of all the same type of things that uh, businesses uh, get hit with right right so, and we also, when we were considering our training, we also created uh, home security uh, courses as well, because we want people to basically take that back to their, their house, their family, and have best practices there they can share. And, and it keeps them in, the, in, the, in a good, uh, keeping a good cyber hygiene, right? Yeah. At home, as well as work, so it does translate. And potentially, also, they're not bringing compromised endpoints, you know, their own smartphones, potentially, back into the business and, and creating problems there as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, the bring your own device, which is uh, ever used to be a thing where businesses tried to control this, and I think al almost everyone, unless you're running in a super high security environment at this point, has has given up on blocking all um, devices from the network except for approved company devices. Uh, and employees expect with the office to be able to uh, put their personal cell phone onto your your Wi-Fi network at this point because most uh, mobile providers have. Uh, capped data plans now so many folks when they have a chance to be on a trusted wi-fi network want to be able to put their device on there so if you're stopping employees from being able to use your your wi-fi it's potentially costing you employee engagement um, and creating increased employee turnover uh, you'd be better off training folks uh, so that their phone's not compromised they would like their phone not to be compromised as well and uh, at the, then you can allow them on your Wi-Fi network, and they can be happier, and you can be aware of these things. Yeah, unfortunately, what we found with our phishing campaigns is that people act less secure on their phone than they do on their desktop. And either it's an assumption that it's safer, which yeah. it certainly isn't, right? Yeah, my or, phone's immune from compromise, isn't it? <laughs> no? Or, or, or they don't know how to do certain things they do on the desktop on their computer. So if you're having to check a link on an email to make sure that it's not uh, malicious— so on a desktop, you hover over that, right? Yeah. But on a phone, people don't know. You can actually just long tap on that URL, and it'll show you the address. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, people will fall prey that way. 
Yeah, so, sort of. My, every time I I'm, grabbed my wife's iPhone, I was trying to do that, and like I can't figure out how to for mm-hmm. like even me. I was trying to. She, she got a phishing email. She knew it was a phishing email. She's like, "Hey, here, look at this one," mm-hmm. and I was uh, trying to hover over the link on there, and I was trying to like long touch, force touch, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just I'm I don't know. My fingers are, are clumsy. So like even knowing what to do, sometimes it's tricky on there. And before I got the URL to show up, it actually popped and opened up Safari. Um, on there now gotcha. this was this was a a uh, bank phishing email so that it was pretending to be from our bank and they put a form up where they were trying to get us to log in so it wasn't anything that was immediately going to download malware onto the phone uh, but you can have these links where you don't even have to after you open up the web browser uh, there could be an exploit there that puts malicious code into your phone uh, without you clicking on anything other than just opening up that web page so um, be aware, yeah, the messing around with the phishing email can be dangerous. Uh, if you know it's a phishing email, you're best off to just delete it. I was doing it from a security research perspective, trying to look at how sophisticated was this attack with one that was sent to my wife, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also another option is if, if you're suspicious, don't look it out on your phone. Yeah. yeah. Wait till you get to a desktop and check it that way. So. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, on the phones, they, they're trying to make things uh, easier from a user experience perspective. So simplifying the the to and from on the email and all of those different things and hiding um, much of the technological details, the, the, the drawback on hiding some of those technological details is those are, are ways where you can look and check and see um, if the the messages malicious or fraudulent and like this spoofed bank one uh, what they had done is created a super long url uh, but the url started off as www dash bank name dash com and then a bunch of other dashes and other stuff in the so that was the host name mm-hmm. was so long that on the mobile device you couldn't see anything other than like this, what it was kind of looked like a, a faked URL. It was uh, where y- it looks like the whole bank thing, unless you know that like you're looking really carefully and you're mm-hmm. technologically aware and you know it's not dashes, it's periods that separate these different things. It looked like the, the bank URL um, inside of that host name. Uh, and you couldn't see the fact that if you went all the way down to the actual end of the URL, it was maliciousdomain.com <laughs> at the end. Um, but none of that stuff was visible on the phone because it wouldn't show the full length URL until I copied and pasted it into a like text message field. Then you could see that it was many, many lines long, and it was they were hiding the the malicious part. URL padding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's something that uh, we're, we're putting in our training this year, actually, because yeah. it, it it is uh, potentially uh, an easy way to to trick people. Right. And you need to be aware of that. So we're more focused on mobile security for for our updates for this year on the, on the course uh, material. Yeah. So outside of security awareness training, you guys also can solve HR compliance and other requirements for folks? This is true. So we're security awareness training foremost, but we also provide HR and compliance training. So HIPAA, uh, PCI training as well. Uh, HR would be something like uh, harassment training, uh, so on and so forth. Now, what I would note is that some of those areas do cross over. It's not a hard edge between security awareness training and HR, right? Because so in an HR library, we have active shooter, workplace violence. That's physical security, yeah. right? And that's a security awareness topic or lawful termination. So if you have uh, employees who are uh, not happy with the company, right, uh, and they want to do some damage to the company on the way out, that's an insider threat, right? And that's a, that's a cybersecurity consideration as well. So 
you know, your training needs to cover all those topics and, and, and not, don't just think HR and compliance or security awareness is being separate, right? Necessarily. Yeah. There's, there's, a, I mean, yeah, as we've been talking on the program, technologically enabled processes all throughout the business and all of these places where you have a tech enabled process, there needs to be some cybersecurity to that tech enabled process. So yeah, employee onboarding and offboarding, there's technology risks during that process and you want to be able to think about the steps and order you handle that in so that you minimize the tech risk there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you look at the last uh, Verizon report from 2018, you know, a quarter of the atta- uh, data breaches were results of insider threats, right? Not not external cyber kernels, but people within the organization. So. Yeah. Now, uh, that's one on the, the physical training piece uh, to think about as well. Uh, just uh, go ahead and um, walk around. If you're the business owner, if you're an employee, I don't necessarily recommend you do this. Um, or if you're on the security team, get permission from somebody in legal uh, at a bigger organization. But go ahead and walk around the, the office and, and look at the stacks of paper on people's desks. And you can see from a physical security perspective what's being left out. And you really should not be leaving any confidential and sensitive material uh, out in your office if you are if that office is something where you have um, open access to it after hours where you're not there. Uh, so that that information sitting out should be carefully uh, thought about, especially in a larger building organizations uh, where uh, you may have uh, all sorts of people uh, in there overnight, uh, whether it's cleaning staff or others. And some of these folks are not even employees of the organization, but they have unfettered phys- physical access to the, the full building. Right, right. And also lock the computer. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't leave that open and vulnerable to, yeah. to anybody going and, into it. So. And don't put your your passwords on a sticky note on the bottom of your keyboard (laughs) like i mean that's only as good as uh yeah it's not good it's just a bad idea i can't even think of it's only as good as it's only as good as a bad idea it's It's a bad bad. idea yeah just bad bad. (laughs) yeah i mean from one of the uh, the others from a physical security perspective i've been given a talk recently just about um how easy it is so it used to be uh hard to create a, a key logger like you'd have to be a sophisticated attacker to be able to um, get key logging software or get a hardware device that does that that's a key logger uh, but now if you you want to go out and pick one of your your favorite um, large e-commerce merchants out there on the internet pick any one of them go into their own search bar don't even go on a google or whatever internet search engine just pick your favorite large e-commerce provider and put in a usb key logger and You'll find that for, I don't know, somewhere between $25 and $50, you can buy a device that plugs into a USB port on a computer, and then you plug the, the keyboard into that little device, and it just looks like a little additional dongle uh, on there, but not noticeable, especially if a computer's tucked underneath or behind a, it on the floor by your desk or whatnot, um, and it'll capture all the stuff. So all it requires now for someone to do key logging is... Uh, low ethics and a, <laughs> a, a credit card and they need to know how to order stuff off of the internet. So not a lot of sophistication anymore for that and not even a, a very expensive uh, to, to do those sorts of things. So that the company that we did work for in Las Vegas as well, they were um, seeing a lot of people dropping those USB drives into their parking lot, trying oh. to get their employees to, to yeah. get back and out of curiosity or whatnot, plug it into their computer and then compromise the system, right? Yeah. So uh, something that we were able to do for them is, is uh, we, we do USB baiting simulation. Yeah. Right? So we'll, we'll give you the, 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 the code to put in there. You can you know spread that out on your parking lot and see how susceptible your employees actually are to this type of attack. Uh, but it is fairly prevalent. 
Yeah, and one of the things, if you're going through in your head right now, you're like, well, what do I do about somebody? Do I have to like check the back of my computer every morning? <laughs> uh, you can not type your passwords in. So if you, if you think about this, the key logger is going to capture your keyboard input. So if you have a, a password manager, you can click generate a password, and then you can hit Control-C, and then you can hit Control-V to paste that password into a field. All the key logger is going to see is the Control-C, the Control-V. It's going to see the, the mouse click. It's The key logger is not going to see all of the characters in the password. So if you're physically typing your password in, the key logger is going to capture that. But if you're just copying and pasting passwords or you have a, a password manager that will auto-populate forms, that key logger is not going to get the information that most of the attackers are looking for, which is uh, all of the passwords to your, your different accounts. A password manager is an excellent way to to, to manage your passwords too, right? Because yeah. you, you, all these you have to have a strong password, and you have to remember all these passwords for the different sites and so on and so forth. Uh, those uh, that software makes it a lot easier. But with anything, you want to make sure that you're updating that software too, because they do run into vulnerabilities as well. Yeah, so. and and your password manager should have a multi-factor authentication. You should have some type of password plus a PIN number or something else that that comes off of a hardware token or a software token on your phone. And that way, even if your your master password for your password manager gets captured by a key logger, unless they also have your hardware token, they're not going to be able to get into your your password vault that you have with your password management system. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, what's uh, so we've got virtual reality training coming out, John. We've got a, a, a another uh, minute or two here on the program. What else is uh, headed forward in the, the world of uh, training over the next few years? Well, gamification is still strong, right? Uh, basically where you're trying to uh, really motivate your users to, to take the training, to be engaged, and so on and so forth. And, that, and that's one of the big pain points. And we talked about retention earlier, yeah. right, and retaining information. But motivation uh, is, is a big one as well. And so you provide experiences such as gamification like VR basically to change up, you know, the e-learning attempts uh, and and your training and so on and so forth. Um, Also videos. So basically um, you want to supplement your training with with video content, uh, with posters. So not just slideware anymore. Right, right. No, people will put basically um, videos up in the TVs in their hallway and so on and so forth. Just remind them a quick one to two minutes, right? Like uh, make, make sure you do strong passwords or you don't tailgate or so on and so forth. These are all ways to reinforce the training to help bring that back to the top of mind so they have a cybersecurity conscious uh, culture there, right? Those are very important uh, aspects to that. Uh, But also, you know, when it comes to creating a a robust security awareness program, you also want to make sure that you put resources into this, right? So, you know, you have a 5,000 people organization. You, You want one or two people devoted to security awareness training. And if you cannot do that, then you need to find a way or a company that's going to provide that kind of Uh, assistance to you. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us on CyberTalk Radio, and it was uh, a pleasure having a conversation with you today. Thank you for having me. That was great.